Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. We have all these campaigns. It's good to talk, get talking. You know, there, there are a hundred campaigns out there on talking. But we have to consider, you know, and, and a good starting point is the right type of talking. Because, for example, if you have anxiety and your talking is about constantly needing reassured or looking for reassurance or checking for details or whatever the context might be, that is not the right type of talking for you. And if someone colludes with that, actually they're feeding the anxiety. So that's not the right type of talking. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. There are a few problems with therapy. It's often hard to access. It can be costly. It's hard to find the time to engage with a therapist. And still, of course, there is a huge stigma around it. But we know that it is scientifically proven as a method of improving mental wellness, it improves brain chemistry, it can reprogram neural pathways to help a person function in more helpful ways. And that's why I love the promise of Owen O'Kane's latest book, How to Be Your Own Therapist, teaching you the key fundamentals of therapy and how to apply these to your own life alongside targeted tasks that only take 10 minutes a day. In the morning, you can check in for just four minutes asking yourself these few questions. How am I doing today? What do I need today? What am I grateful for? And what intentions do I have today? And how am I grounding myself? In the middle of the day, we're staying steady for three minutes. Can I tweak my thinking traps and unhealthy behaviors? Am I instilling healthy behaviors? Can I perform a random act of kindness? And to finish your day, we're gonna reflect and reset. Journal and let go. What are the lessons of the day? How can I cleanse, energize, and end the day? All these techniques are steeped in a range of tools, including CBT, CFT, mindfulness, IP therapy, and EMDR, which is why I absolutely love and trust Owen's work just so much. And I'm going to be putting these into practice myself for 30 days, chronicling my experience on socials as well, because I'm just such a believer in having these healthy habits. And I'm really intrigued to see what effects this could have after just 30 days. Owen O'Kane, if you don't remember, is a psychotherapist and former NHS clinical lead. He's been on the podcast before. We talked about where he grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, the perfect training ground, I would say, for understanding the anxious mind due to the conflict and fear that existed in the region. He's also a former palliative care nurse. Owen heard firsthand the biggest regrets people have on their deathbeds. And as a result, he learned about the stresses and worries that we shouldn't hold on to. Today, we also talk about psychological flexibility, not allowing your happiness to be so cheap. This is something I try and practice every day. Micro injections of intention and introspection and therapy being less about indulgence and more about courageousness. Remember, you can watch everything 
on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, just search The Doctor's Kitchen. You can download The Doctor's Kitchen app for free if you are interested in trying to instill those healthy behaviors that are very important for mental well-being. And you can get a 14-day free trial as well. For anyone using an Apple device, unfortunately, Android, we don't have yet, but we are working on it really, really hard. And do check out every week's newsletter, Eat, Listen, Read. Every week, I send you something to eat, a nice recipe, something to listen to, something to read, something to watch. And we're also starting seasonal Sundays. Every Sunday, we do a deep dive into a seasonal accessible ingredient that you can get in your supermarkets, your local grocers, your local farmer's market, if you're lucky enough to have one near you. And we're gonna teach you everything about it. We just did mushrooms, for example. Mushrooms have got a fantastic array of different bioactive compounds. We dive into the human research studies, into how many mushrooms you need to have in your diet daily or weekly. And we also look at the reasons as to why it has a particular flavor and no recipe recipes. So simple ways in which you can just cook mushrooms and add them to your weekly diet. And in my case, you know, it's that mantra of just add one more. Can you add mushrooms to your weekly diet? That is the challenge that we have in our seasonal Sundays newsletter. And if you're a subscriber to Eat This and Read, you'll get the Sunday seasonal seasonal Sunday newsletter uh, anyway. So onto the podcast. Before we get started, here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, and thanks so much for jumping on the pod again. Uh, if people You're haven't welcome. heard you and your story, um, they should definitely dive into the, the previous episode that we've done. Probably over a year ago now. Um, it was a little while, wasn't it? Maybe a bit. Is it a bit longer? I don't know. It, it yeah. like the last three years. I, I kind of like think the last three years have felt like they felt like twenty years, but at the same time, it feels like it's been a year. It's weird, yeah. isn't it? I can't yeah, differentiate really the years at the moment. But yeah, it was probably well over a year ago. Yeah, like I was saying, as soon as we we sort out this studio that I keep on alluding to, to the listeners and everyone else, then, um, you know, we won't have to deal with any technological issues, uh, and upgrading yeah. and like changing your browsers and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> we can just get straight into a chat. Yeah. Basically trigger point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, look, I want to get into it straight away. How to be your own therapist. Perfect. I 
Love this yeah. book. Um, my quote is on the front. Brilliant. I love the fact. The fact I, I probably yeah. gave you like a, a full paragraph. Now, just like yeah, we'll just put brilliant <laughs> on the front. Well, of the the, book. well, the, they they put you in the front and Benedict Cumberbatch on the back. <laughs> so there <laughs> <Yes>. you go. <laughs> That's my claim. Don't tell fame. Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't tell benedict <laughs> that's pretty no thank um, you so much I, I i'm really happy you read it and i'm happy you've enjoyed the book because um yeah I, i'm really proud of this book it was a tough really tough one to write actually i i, I can I imagine right i can imagine totally because you know yeah. um I, as someone who's used therapy, a big supporter of therapy you know i feel like everyone should have therapy in the nhs and and, yeah. and beyond You've really tackled uh, some of the issues that prevent people from accessing therapy in the first place. You know, things like, yeah. um, well, access is, is certainly one, the stigma around it, the cost yeah. around it. And the fact that this is yeah. um, a, a gentle entry point into making therapy a daily activity, I think is, is, it's, yeah. it's a really smart way of introducing it into people's lives. I, I wonder if we could talk about you know the, the the reason as to why you created this book and and sort of the provocative title how to be your own therapist yeah uh, it's an interesting one when i when i started to think about the third book i really did want to do something different and i wanted to do something therapy based and when we were talking about the title there was a lot of discussion about therapy in the uk and i mean a few years ago i talked about this idea and someone had said to me don't put therapy in the title in the uk people won't buy the book it's just not a, a sellable thing in the UK. And for me, as you know, it's not about selling books. It's about doing this work and getting the message out there and supporting people. But my instinct was it was the right thing to do because I thought, we, you know, if I, if I leave the word therapy out, I'm kind of almost colluding with the stigma. And I believe wholeheartedly in therapy. I believe in the benefit of it. And I thought, as a therapist, your job is to, you're, you're teaching someone to be their own therapist. I mean, with the best intention i don't want to see my clients when they're when i'm done you know i i really do want them to leave feeling empowered and that they're in control of their life now there might be setback moments or moments when they need to come back for a top-up or whatever but generally my job is to pass over what i know and empower people enough to do it so i thought why don't i why don't i write a book in this and of course you know lockdown covid the economy the ukrainian war i mean everything was just kicking off at one time I knew people were struggling to get therapy, as you know as well as I do. The NHS are doing their best, but wait lists are high and it's difficult to get access to treatment some of the time. Therapy isn't cheap either. So all of these factors, I thought, why don't I just write about what I know? It doesn't claim to be a replacement for therapy, but I think it gets people started and it gives them the right information. It gives them tools to, to move them along. And, you know, very often in my experience, even in therapy, Sometimes all it can take is one cathartic moment when suddenly the coin drops or someone hears something. And I think, why would that be any different than a book? It could be that some part of this book resonates with someone and touches them. So unapologetically, I just thought, you know, something, I'm going to go for it. I've got nothing to lose. I believe in what I'm doing. and I'm just going to trust the process. And I know that sounds really cliched, but that's kind of how I entered the, the whole thing, really. And, you know, off the book went. And thankfully, it's gone really well you know, which is incredible. And even internationally, it's doing well. And I didn't expect that. You know, you don't expect a lot of international territories to pick it up like they did with the first book. And that's happened again, which has been incredible. So, yeah, I, I do think, as you say, I think 
everyone could benefit from therapy at some point. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the initial sort of um, uh, pushback against using the word therapy in the title of a book, I think is really interesting because I think perhaps it reflects a changing attitude in how people think about mental well-being and therapy in general and that they're more accepting of the fact that, you know, I, I won't be embarrassed to hold this book uh, in public or reading it on the train or my commute or wherever it might be because it says the word therapist on it. Like perhaps that is indicative of, of the changing stigma around it. I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on it. I, I, th- I think we are, we are get, we're, we're getting there definitely. I mean, we're still not, I'll give you an example. I've, I've just done a piece for the meal in the States on, on this book. And um, when I was talking to them, they they ask for a three day segment rather than a one day segment, and I think it just gives you some context as to in America this is like no no we really want to talk about this whereas here we're not quite there yet but we're moving in the right direction and I think traditionally therapy was associated with very severe mental health I think that is uh you know the 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 key thing really back in the day. You know, people used to use the words like crazy and mad and all of that sort of stuff, the kind of stigmatizing words. And I think therapy was associated with people who were very severely unwell. Whereas actually now, I think we're moving away from that to explore the fact that, you know, look, I think I've said this to you before, Ruby, and you'll appreciate this coming from a, a medical background. I really think we need to move away from pathologizing people and placing the kind of disorder titles on them. I think there is a real danger at the moment that we're over-pathologizing. And every other day, someone has a new diagnosis. And we can we almost seem to be moving through trends in diagnosis as well. And I feel that occasionally it's helpful to give someone a diagnosis. But if you take, for example, personality disorder, if you think about that as a diagnosis, in my, in my experience, if someone has a, in inverted commas, personality disorder, what normally you're dealing with is someone who's had a really tough life and have had to use multiple aspects of their personality to survive. Now, to call someone a disorder, I just kind of think, I think it's unfair to call someone an, you know, that you have an anxiety disorder, you have a depressive disorder. I think we need to get better at that. And I'm more interested, particularly in this book, in humanizing the conversation in that we struggle. As human beings, we struggle. Sometimes we're a bit you know, low, sometimes our anxiety levels might be high. Sometimes we might feel a bit lost or confused. And that is part of being human. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're a problem. It just means sometimes we need to know how to manage that. And I think most people crash land into adulthood without the skills and the know-how because that that's the way it was. I mean, certainly back in my day, you know, you got on with it, you know, the old motto, there are people worse off than you, you know, it was just, no, 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 get on with it. And I think what I'm trying to do is, you know, to, to re-educate people and say, you know, there are really helpful ways of navigating your way through this and it can be much easier than it is today. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that sort of model of having that stiff upper lip and just getting on with things and comparing yourself to other people and how we should always be grateful because, you know, there's always going to be someone who's worse off in your situation that can lead to shame. And that's something I definitely picked out of, of this book of something that I wanted to, to dive into a bit more. Um, you mentioned um, these sort of penny drop moments for people uh, who have undergone therapy or perhaps in, in books as well. I, I wonder if y- you can share uh, a time where you've had your own penny drop moment during your own therapy journey. Um, I, I, I definitely think of some where I, 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 I sort of realized that there was this internal voice and it was a complete 
revelation to me that this internal voice was dictating how I was feeling in those moments, as well as painting yeah, like yeah, a yeah. foundational belief of like who I am as a person. Um, I, I wonder if, if you can describe one of yours, perhaps if there've been a few. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant question. And in fact, somebody was having a conversation with me recently about s- something similar. And um, I wasn't quite sure how to, you know, to ask to go. It was a really directly led question. And I said, well, what's therapy taught you that, you know, we, we should know? And it was kind of delivered in quite a, not aggressive, but it was like, you know, come on, what, what is this stuff you talk about? You know, kind of bring it alive a little bit. And in fact, look, you know, as therapists, we, we're in therapy. That's part of the deal. And I think it should be part of the deal because of the nature of the work and what you're doing. You need to be dealing with your own stuff. So I've been around a long time and I've had a couple of big breakthrough moments in my life for kind of big cathartic awakenings. But interestingly, I had a really significant shift over the last year, which is going to sound really odd because I think I've been around a long time doing this work. And what I discovered in my own therapy recently was that I I have a real struggle sometimes accepting when things are difficult. You know, I have a real issue with Kenny almost trying to fast forward and get through difficult times. And my own therapist said to me, um, you do realize sometimes that you you don't really allow much space to allow yourself to struggle. And I can remember it was like a proper, you know, it's like one of those punch in the stomach moments in therapy where you're like, oh, I don't like this. It feels really uncomfortable and actually there was truth in it because I'm not really I haven't traditionally been that good I'm quite good at problem solving and I think over the years I've been quite good at spotting the difficulties and challenges and thinking right how do I deal with that how do I sort that out and that's absolutely understandable and fine but what I haven't been so good at is kind of giving myself permission to have a tough time or to struggle and one of the huge things I learned was actually these parts of me, if you think about the parts of us that struggle, we are made up of many different parts. If you think of some of the parts of me that have struggled, if I'm kind of trying to solve them or move them on quickly, actually, I'm not giving them permission. So you kind of almost invalidate the feeling. And I've now got much better at if things are difficult or I'm struggling, I've got much better at almost creating a bit of time for it and saying, oh, it's all right, you know we you know this is a tough day or i'm a bit anxious or i'm a bit overwhelmed okay let's just take a bit of time to to work that out so it's almost like you're beginning to have a dialogue with those parts of yourself and i think permission to struggle has been my my biggest awakening of late actually that and that's going to sound really weird coming from a therapist you know we we do this stuff but the, the interesting thing is we're learning the whole time and we can kid ourselves into believing that we're doing all the right things but actually, there at times that we need to be brave and think. Actually, this I preach this stuff, and I do it, and it's my bread and butter. But and I would encourage anyone to give themselves permission to struggle. But you know, God forbid if I struggle, you know, that's a different kettle of fish, and that's that's been a major U-turn for me because I don't know if you ever get this sometimes as a professional. You know that you're there and you're showing up and you're doing your job and you're trying to do your best, and and there's an expectation I think when people come to you. They're coming to you for help. But I think whether we're therapists, doctors, nurses, there's a real kind of internal battle sometimes about, well, I, I can't really be be needy or weak because I'm the person who gives. And I think that's a big mistake because ultimately, you know, we're human like everyone else, which means we're going to have our difficulties. So that, that's been a major wake-up call. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I think every person in uh, the, the health industry can resonate with that you know um i remember it was sort of 
inbuilt into the culture from when I was a junior doctor or even medical school, actually, when we were doing um, clinical practice um, to to be that uh, authority, uh, that authority, to be that person who didn't demonstrate any vulnerabilities, who, you know, would wear the 24 hour shifts as a badge of honor, you know, uh, and, and be unbreakable, uh, so to speak. Right. And it wasn't until, you know, I got ill myself that I actually allowed myself to, you know, uh, be vulnerable, but even still today, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the pandemic has really brought this conversation to the forefront in that medics are not invincible. And actually, we do need to practice a lot more self-care. And it's okay to yeah. dive into yeah. uh, self-care because that is seen, even to this moment, even now, it's seen as a luxury. It's seen as, you know, something that um, is uh, frivolous. Um I was I was chatting to uh, this uh, organization. They're called Well Medics with a I X on the end, and they do a week long. Yeah, I don't know if you you've come across them, but they're started by a bunch of consultants. One of them, I think, is in um, uh, an anaesthetist, there's gastroenterologist. There's a whole bunch of different specialties, and they take themselves away for a week, and they do conferences, and they talk about self care, they talk about nutrition, they talk about all these different things, and they have like a little trip away and. Even the thought of that, when they started ideating the the, the process that the, the the conference was thought of as a really frivolous activity that they should feel guilty yeah, about yeah. even contemplating yeah, yeah. about. You know that just goes how to ingrained sort of this idea that you shouldn't you know uh, practice any self care. So and that, that that word that self self care in itself as a concept, it, I think it can sound a bit fluffy and it can sound a little bit indulgent. I think that's the kind of the association with that. If I'm talking about it, I normally move away from if I think it's going to, particularly with men, if I think it's going to create a reaction, I'll move away from it and say, okay, well, let's call it essential maintenance. That's a completely different thing. I, it was a really interesting one for me, actually. I did a, I was on a podcast show the other night with Jay Comfries and his team on high performance. They're so doing a tour around the country and um, I was doing a talk for them and, um, one of the questions I asked, which I do at every talk, was asking people if they'd taken any time out for their mental well-being that day. You know, I'd ask a list of questions. How many people spent 10 minutes on their phone checking emails? Everyone puts up their hand. And then when I asked that question, how many people have taken 10 minutes out at any point in the last few days to take care of their mental well-being? You get like a handful of people. Now, in this audience, there was well over a thousand people there. I thought it would have been, you know, it's a, it's a captive audience. I thought there would have been a lot of people. Same thing happened, interestingly enough. There were a handful of people who put their hand up and the rest of the audience kept their hands down. And this is kind of the point I go to. This is not, you know, if, if self-care is problematic language or it does feel that it gets too close to fluffiness or self-indulgence, well, then think about it as maintenance. And like, like I've said to you before, you know, our brain is an organ in the body and like every other organ in the body can sometimes you know not function the way we need it to sometimes it can you know it can wear down or it can malfunction or it can just not service in the way we need it to so like if we had a kidney problem or a heart problem we'd we'd go and get that sorted whereas actually when it comes to, when it comes to the mind it all just gets a little bit more because it's less tangible you know, you can't really get to it. It's just playing out as symptoms, but it's much, much harder to, to map out. Whereas I really do think, I mean, 
I genuinely wouldn't function and do my job well if I didn't do this stuff. I really wouldn't. And on the days when I don't or I do miss it, I mean, I I, I really notice it. I can We talk about finding out parts of yourself. Suddenly you're just like, oh, yeah. there's a grumpy old man in here, you know. <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. there's somebody who's got really low tolerance sometimes. Or there's somebody who can just be, yeah, just yeah, the perfectionist. I've really noticed that my perfectionist comes out if I'm not practicing this stuff where I get quite determined and almost resolute. No, no, it's got to happen. You know, I've got to finish that. I've got to get it. This has to go well. And, and, and you know, that's the stuff that never serves anybody well. So it's kind of, yeah, I really do live and breathe by this because you, you've got to. And th- this book talks about kind of almost micro injections into your day. You know, how do you start your day? What do you do in the middle of the day if you're kind of derailing or going off track a bit? And then what do we do at the end of the day to kind of wrap it all up for that day so that you're not carrying loads of stuff with you into the next day? And I guess I think with most people I see, what they do is they kind of literally tumble from one day to another, to another, to another. And of course it accumulates. And then people get exhausted. They begin to start burning out. And and then it's, it's a, a harder climb back, you know, when, when that happens, it's a much harder climb back. So this is very much... In, in its essence, really preventative and, you know, get get to this stuff now and prioritize this stuff. This is not some, you know, chant a mantra and your life's going to be perfect or manifest a good thought and suddenly you're going to be a millionaire overnight. This mm. is really putting the work in, but in a really healthy, good way. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. Just when you were talking about the, the grumpy old man inside of yourself, my wife is a really good barometer of that and she'll just tell me straight up, you know, <laughs> you, you're being grumpy right now, you need to practice. And, I was, and it's, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is good because you've got someone who can be like true and authentic and very honest with 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 myself and so that that's that's really a good reminder um but it is good to practice these things internally my other half similar but significantly less diplomatic <laughs> i don't th- i don't think I, I i don't think i could say on here what he might say or what he might call me <laughs> but let's just say he might just say you've been a twat <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly it's good to have these people in our lives um and i think you Absolutely. know j- j- moving this um uh th- this concept of therapy being an indulgence into something that is for people who are brave or courageous i think this whole sort of mindset shift around allowing yourself the space to practice this every day is, is something super important i think there is a a quote in your book saying therapy is for the courageous and i, I remember writing that down it's like yes that's 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 literally like you know maybe that could be the the title of the next book i'm not too sure if you're if you're writing another one but i, I that really did stick with me but it but it is true isn't it because traditionally it would have been seen as a, a weakness or a need that people hid away whereas actually i think it is one of the most courageous things in the world to step out and to to, to get curious about yourself in your life and whether that's going to therapy or, you know, it's picking up a book and thinking, okay, well, I can't get to therapy at the minute or I'm waiting for therapy at the minute. Pick up the book and get started because, you know, we need to know who we are and how we tick. And, and that's, that's what I try to do in the first half. It's like, I think I describe it like doing a jigsaw, you know, often we've got all of this stuff going on, the way we think, our emotions and behaviors, and we don't understand half of it. And I think it's really important to go over your story and understand who you are, tell your story Tell it properly, and that's a really important thing because most people tell the the polished, respectable version of the story. 
Whereas actually, no, 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 tell it properly. Tell the, the kind of the raw warts and all truth of your story. And then from that, you can start to kind of dissect and break down, okay, th- this explains why I struggle. This is why I get overwhelmed. This is why I find relationships difficult. This is why I I find pressure difficult because you then get to understand all of these different parts of who you are. And then suddenly I think you're more likely to go easier on yourself. If you don't understand that you're just going to be stuck in this, you know, we're talking about these negative cycles earlier. If you don't understand why you're struggling, then, you know, that narrative, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm stupid, I'm not good enough. Everyone else is coping better than I am. If you understand why you're struggling, then you're going to go easier and you're going to say, okay, well, I get it. This is why I struggle. When you say tell your story and and being, you know, very honest and, you know, what's and all, you're literally talking about writing out your story, aren't you? You're you're talking about creating a timeline where you, you, you block parts of your life and you, uh, you, you're very, it, it's a, it's a quite a cathartic experience, uh, something that you do in solitude, but, you know, can explain a lot of things. Well, you're you're doing it by you're doing it alone, obviously, because you know with the book, obviously, you're not in the room with someone. But you're kind of what I get clients to do in person, which is why I translated into book, is I get them to do, pardon me, a timeline of their life, and I kind of almost I describe it like going to watch a movie. So I'm not asking anyone to write War and Peace or to get into a big detailed narrative, but I just kind of think, right, Ruby, if I went to see a movie, which was your life story, you know. What would the trailer look like? What would be the highlight moments? What were the key highs? What were the key lows in your life? So that by the end of the trailer, I've really got a flavor of who you are. So I get people to do these timelines. Now, obviously, in the context of the book, it's kind of guiding them through hard to tell their story. Some people might write it. They might dictate it. They might record it. Some people might paint. I, I don't get overly prescriptive about how it's done, but it's just about get the story out somewhere because everyone's story is worth telling, no matter who you are, your story needs to be heard and it has a right to be heard. And then I talk about trusting someone, you know, who you can who you can bring the story to. And they don't have to be a therapist, but they give you permission to to tell the story. Now it's not your mate who, you know, the minute you mention a difficulty, they have got a difficulty that's twenty times more intense. You know, you don't want that friend. It's the person who can stop and just give you the time and space to tell the story. And then the kind of the more detailed, intricate work is, okay, think about how you struggle now. What are the kind of key things that are going on in your life today that you struggle with? And based on that story that you've just written or painted or told, you know, how, how can that now, does it make sense to you? And often it comes alive really, really quickly. And from that, then you can build really strongly. And, and I kind of work hard. Look, I'm not analytic in my training. An analyst would be here for 20 years doing this story. You know, um, I think life's a bit too short, frankly, to be spending a lifetime analyzing and dissecting. I think there's also the danger that you end up ruminating and going over the same ground over and over and over again. So I think for me personally, and this is not to, to criticize other therapeutic models, but for me, it's about, okay, no, no, go to the story, tell the story, make sense of it. But then it's about how you build. I mean, I say constantly in the book, your story is your strength you know, unquestionably, no matter how difficult it's been, no matter how imperfect it's been, your story is your strength because it's only you that have lived it and it's only you who understands it, but it's also only you who can make a decision that you can transform the difficult parts and turn them into something really special and magical. I mean, and I know this personally, you know, the most the most enriching parts of my life have been the difficult parts. 
and that of course it doesn't feel like that at the time when you're in the middle of it you're like christ this is rough but you know i don't think i would be doing my job now i don't think i would be doing what i do unless you know my story hadn't have guided me here if that makes sense and i think if i didn't have the parts of my story that were difficult i'm not sure i'd be really good at what i do so it's it's kind of like what you take it's about what you take from human struggle and think okay i'm going to make this something different and i'm going to use what i know and and pass it i think this is what we're all doing i mean i'm talking to you today hopefully passing on some information you pass it on you know we're, you pass stuff on to me you introduced yeah, me to mo yeah. do you remember the first time i did the podcast uh met him he was just the most incredible he's the most yeah. incredible yeah. <laughs> so you pass that information on to me i meet him we have an incredible conversation and, and so it's this constant I was going to say network and it's a wrong word but it's this constant connections and passing on and i think we all do that with each other you know we mm. take we take stuff and we pass it on yeah yeah and it, it it's a bit of an uncomfortable truth isn't it that where there is pain there is progress and you know you don't want to wallow in that you don't want to ruminate about it but those uncomfortable situations or exploring those uncomfortable and painful moments in your life actually leads to a lot of a lot of growth. Um, and I think the way you yeah. described it in this book is a, is almost like a safe way to do this uh, in solitude. Um, you know, obviously yeah. there is a role for one to one therapy and other modals of therapy, but I think this is you know opening the door. And, but but opening the door can be you know quite quite it a be ter- brave thing it, to do. Of course, right? I can't. It can be terrifying, you know, it can't yeah. genuinely be scary. Like, I, I know that, you know, I think I told you my first, did I tell you my first therapy story or not? Did I? I don't know if I did uh, last time. I can't time remember. I, to, to, I went to, uh, my first therapist was a nun. Um, oh, yes. Maybe I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah t- tell I, us I, the story I, again, yeah. though. Which, which, uh, and it was all, I mean, it's, it's probably, it's an important story, actually, because it was my first interaction with a therapist. And I, so I was coming out. Or I was about to be outed. I told someone I was gay. I hadn't told my family yet. And suddenly my brother knew and it was all panic about, oh, my God, I'm going to be outed. So anyway, long story short, I, I was genuinely a bit overwhelmed, didn't know what to do. Went to see this therapist on a recommendation. When I get to the therapist, the, the place, I noticed it's a convent. And I thought, this is all a bit weird. Why am I in a convent? Now, considering the context, I'm about to come out as gay. The last place you want to be is in a convent. And lo and behold, this nun appears at the door. And I asked, you know, I say, oh, I'm looking for Kathleen. And she said, oh, that's me. And she's in a nun's outfit. And I thought, Christ, <laughs> I think I better, I think I better hit the road. <laughs> so I go in and I was just like, I mean, I can't tell this nun half quarter of what I want to talk about here. You know, it's like particularly the avenue I was going down. It was like, no, nah, nah, this is the wrong direction anyway long story short i sort of get there and um she's like how are you how are you and i was like yeah yeah yeah, i'm fine i'm fine you know all good and she was like so about after 20 minutes of me being fine and playing the game really and not really knowing what to do she said like i I, i've noticed that you keep telling me that you're fine and you're okay she said but um i have i can't help but notice that you sound and you look a bit sad and i'm really curious about what that's about well then where do you go with that? I mean, it was just like she was in at the deep end. And interestingly, the question just immediately stirred up something in me. And I can remember just initially not being able to speak. And the only thing I feel like 
choking up in my neck. And suddenly then, before I knew it, I started to cry. Totally on. It never happened to me in my life before. It was just an unexpected, okay, I can't run. There's nowhere to hide. So anyway, after the sort of cathartic, unexpected crying, she then said, so what's this all about? So then I say, well, God, I've got this big secret. And she was like, okay. And, da, 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 da. and so like waiting, it was like the X factor waiting for the, the revelation of who's in and who's out. <laughs> so eventually <laughs> I get the courage and I say, um, oh, I, I, I think I'm gay. And she just goes really quiet. And she went, is that it? <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> Oh, she said, oh, my God, she said, I thought it was going to be something terrible. You were yeah. about to tell me. <laughs> and it was just, and I guess, like, I mean, I'm laughing about it now, but it was just that, to be honest, it was just the acceptance of somebody who I thought would never accept me or have a problem with me. And, of course, that was a whole crux of struggle, as it is for most people, being accepted, being understood, not being judged. And, of course, in that very moment, that's exactly what she did. And, you know, and that was a, the beginning of a brilliant relationship, a really, really good relationship in which a lot of incredible things happen. So I guess really in terms of what, you know, go back to the book and this work on what we're doing is what I'm trying to do here is put a very human voice in this rather than the expert or the guru or that. I mean, of course, I've got all my professional skills and training and all of that stuff. But, you know, ultimately, yeah, people want to know that you're doing your job and you know how to do your job. But I think more importantly, people want to know that they're in the presence or they're dealing with a human being who gets human struggle. I think that's the most important thing. And that's what I try to do in this book, rather than someone picking up the book and feeling ashamed of needing the book or wanting to read it. I just kind of, I want people to open that book and think, oh, this is great. You know, this is not great in a egotistical way, but great in a, new information, stuff that awakens, stuff that enlightens, stuff that kind of really gives a sense of hope and inspiration. Because I, you look, th this is what I do for a job, and it's easy to work on the assumption that people know this stuff. And, and I know what I'm doing in that because I'm breaking down some really complicated theories into layman, everyday language. But people don't want the academia. They don't want the you know, extensive studies, you know, I can do all of that in the background, but they do want that. Can you just tell me what's going to help? Yeah. 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 That's what I've learned. That's, that's what I've learned. And can you just yeah. give me the stuff that's going to help? And that's what I've tried to do in this book is to really clear away the jargon and just, totally. give, you know, usable, usable stuff. Look, there are loads of parallels with different sort of elements of, uh, you know, lifestyle medicine. People just want to know, just tell me what to eat or like, or just tell me what I shouldn't be having or like, just give me that exercise plan. Like I don't want to figure it out myself. And, and actually when you, when you figure out your own likes, dislikes, your, your intuitions, your triggers that like that, that's actually where you can become your own therapist. You can become your own nutritionist. You can become your own PT. I think it, you know, there's a, there's a ton of parallels in it. And just to go back on that story of your, your first therapy experience. I mean, A, what an amazing person, first of all. I mean, that, that sounds like, she just sounds wonderful. And B, what an incredible question to ask, you know, in the middle of that people pleasing strategy that a lot of us uh, practice, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, everything's fine. You know, it's all good. Yeah, it could be better, whatever. Um, and just to ask that question, like you, 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 you're saying that to me, but you look sad and that sort of acceptance, that sort of space to allow you to, 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 um, 
experience your true emotions. I, I mean, yeah. what, what a wonderful way of opening someone yeah. up. Yeah, and it was. And and I'm, yeah, that's often really important in therapy is about sometimes being brave enough to take risks because, you know, here's the bottom line. I think we're all guilty of this here. When things are tough, you know, it's very, very easy to rock up and think, well, yeah, it, yeah, of course it's tough, but this happened and that happened and he did that and she did that and my boss is a twat. And, you know, there can be a hundred reasons for people coming in and actually lots of it's really, really justified. And this is kind of one of the things I talk about a lot in the book, you know, I 100% appreciate sometimes terrible things happen. So it's never to minimize that or to underestimate someone's pain. It's always acknowledging that as a really important part of the story. But here's the bottom line. Unless you take responsibility for your life and unless you take responsibility for how you're going to move forward and break through, then you get stuck in that cycle. And as a therapist, if I watch somebody in therapy who's just going around in circles or they're ruminating or they're you know, they're, they're getting stuck in reassurance seeking or they're playing games in therapy or they're being avoidant. I'm not doing my job if I don't jump in bravely and challenge that. Now, you always run the risk of a rupture and them telling you to clear off and, you know, or get upset with you because you're, you're bringing something that they may not like, but you've got to be brave enough to take the risk because one, you're wasting their time and money by not challenging. So fluffy should, you know, Therapy shouldn't always feel fluffy and nice and warm. Like even reading this book, I don't give any promises that it's going to feel lovely and nice and great all the time. There'll be moments when it hits on something that might feel a bit uncomfortable or a bit difficult, but that doesn't mean that it's a problem or that it's wrong. It just means it's something it's highlighting, you know, it's a bit like pain, you know, physical pain. It's highlighting an area that perhaps needs adjustment or tweaking or attention in some way. Our emotional states do exactly the same thing. But what do we do with them? We push them down. We anaesthetize them. We shove them away. We deny them. And of course, the more we do that, then they come back and they come back and they come back until we listen. So this is this is primarily what the book's trying to get people to do, you know, is stop, you know, tune in. Get to know all of these parts of you. Get to know the way you think. Get to know the emotional states. Acknowledge the behaviors that are working for you. Begin to consider letting go of the ones that don't work for you. And there's where the empowerment comes. Rather than just, you know, me giving people a whole lot of mantras to chant or telling them that it's going to be amazing and that better, you know, it's kind of like, you know, well, they may buy it, but I mean, am I giving anything that in my experience of being in this world, doing this stuff for a long time, am I going to give them anything of value? No. So you, you, you've, you've got to give what you know works. Totally. Um, you mentioned this word at, at the start called micro-injections. And I, I really like that, actually, because what this book is about is, you know, these, these micro-injections that you um, practice uh, or you apply or you, you know, intervene with um, across your day. Um, and you have this check-in, this staying steady, and then the uh, reflect and reset of your day. And, and this is something I think um, is turning the idea of therapy on its head because the way most people, and I'll be honest, it was probably the way I thought about it a few years ago. The way most people think about therapy is you have a nice chat with someone who's there to listen for an hour once a week. 
um and then you you sort of you know explore different things and you sit on a on a yeah, couch yeah. and then you you know you basically lament about how your parents didn't like you or whatever you know, <laughs> there is this sort of like caricature of what therapy yeah, yeah, yeah. uh yeah. is, is th- thought to be like this is turning out to say no this is like no this is all on you you're gonna have to practice this it doesn't have to be more than 10 minutes a day might be in the initial stages but this is something that you need to do this is more proactive rather than passive and so I, I wonder if we could talk about the tools that you're actually using, the, the sort of classical yeah. therapy therapy tools that you're using within, within this 10 minutes. And then we can break yeah, it yeah. down because yeah. I'm definitely going to start doing this. I, I thought there's a character in the book that I really resonate with. I, I'll, talk, I'll talk to you about that in a second. But um, why, why don't we talk about the, the tools that you're actually introducing and, and how this 10 minutes a day is structured? I mean, it's a, it's a really good point. So the, the, the Royal College of Psychiatrists, rightly so, they say that 95% of the work in therapy happens outside of the room and 5% happens in the room. Now, of course, you're, you're right. I think people think the opposite. They think that the majority is going to happen in the room and then they go away and they're fixed and they're better. When actually all, all of this, I mean, of course, the talking is important, but I, you know, I, I did a thing on Instagram the other day and I said, like, we, we have all these campaigns. It's good to talk, get talking. You know, there, there are a hundred campaigns out there on talking. But we have to consider, you know, and, and a good starting point is the right type of talking. Because, for example, if you have anxiety and your talking is about constantly needing reassured or looking for reassurance or checking for details or whatever the context might be, that is not the right type of talking for you. And if someone colludes with that, actually they're feeding the anxiety. So that's not the right type of talking. If you've got a major episode of low mood or I'm going to use the word depression diagnostically, even though. I don't like diagnosis, but if you struggle with mood issues, then talking about stuff that's happened in your life over and over and over and over and over again is called rumination. Rumination achieves one thing, which is keeping you stuck and you fail to process. So it's all well and good going for a talk, but it's like, no, no, no. How has the talk been structured? You know, are you using, you know, good therapists use Socratic questioning? Are they digging beneath the surface? Are they willing to go in and intervene and challenge and and not be afraid to, to share with them? You know, if I think someone's bullshitting me in therapy, I'll call them out on it in the politest way possible, you know, but I will call them out on it and say, that's not really what I'm hearing or I'm not really what I'm experiencing when you tell me that. And, you know, and it can disarm people, but in, in a good way, in a healthy way. I think the type of talking is important, but this book really talks about it's not just how you talk, it's everything, you know, it's how you manage the emotional states. It's about acknowledging the behaviours in your life, that the ones that are helpful, the ones that are not helpful. It's about the people you surround yourself with. You know, are you living a life that's aligned to your values? What are you doing on a daily basis? Is, you know, the maintenance stuff that I talked about earlier, what, what are you doing about this, you know? So it's a whole collection of doing. It's a whole level. Ther- therapy is an active process. It is not a passive process. And I think that's the biggest mistake, that it's seen as a very passive, I'll just go splurge, be listened to and walk away again. Now, will you feel better short term? Yeah, you will do. We all love to have a good old rant. And then you feel, oh, well, that's great. I've got that off my chest. But if you then go and have the same rant again and again and again and you don't change, then the rants are ap- absolutely purposeless. So... So, so this book really looks at, you know, the, the key ingredient, particularly at the beginning of the day, is uh, the whole premise of, okay, checking in with yourself. It's, you know, I use the analogy of it's like, you know, you wouldn't get into your car. You wouldn't drive off in the car unless you've done your checks. 
you got to really. It's a bit of a safety thing. And, you know, when I'm talking about the techniques in the day, these kind of micro injections, I talk about the beginning of the day, you know, the stopping to check in where you're at. You know, you need to know before you start that day, you sort of need to know, okay, where's my mind at today? What's going on with me emotionally? What's going on in the physical body? Because when you tune into that, then suddenly you've got the information that you need to then make the adjustments or tweaks in your day. Whereas actually, if you don't do that check-in, it's a bit like getting into your car and just shooting off. The, the risk of hitting a wall are much higher when you do that. So I guess really that these checking in moments are really, really important. And then the, the making the decisions, say, for example, it's a body, you know, and you're, you're a doctor, so a good person to have this conversation with. I mean, in my experience over the years, if you find it hard to access the emotions or you can't work out what you're feeling or you're a bit confused or there's a lot of thoughts going on, just go to the physical body, just stop and check, just stop catch a few deep breaths and check in what's going on in the physical body. And I guarantee you 100% of the time, somewhere in the body, you'll locate what's happening. So it'll either be, you know, I feel a lump in my throat. Um, my chest feels a bit heavy. There's knots in my stomach. Um, I feel like my face is going on fire. And, and I mean, I've never, when I do this with clients, it never ever goes wrong. And then you say, oh, that's all right. Let's stay with that. So let's just see what the body's communicating. And then, of course, the minute people bring attention and space and time to whatever's going on in the body, 99.9% of the time, then they'll say, I'm feeling I'm feeling really sad or I'm feeling really anxious or I'm feeling really overwhelmed. So you get your inroad to the emotion. And then when you get your inroad to the emotion and something comes up, you think, okay, I'm really sad. The next point that is, then, okay, the next part of the self-therapy is, okay, what do you need? So you're going to whatever the struggle or the difficulty is, and you're not just acknowledging it. The acknowledgement is only one part of it. You then go into that part of you and say, okay, what, what do you need? What would help today? And then that leads to the kind of decisions about, you know, what does your day look like? You know, are there things that you could take out? Are there things that you need to add to your day that will make it a bit more manageable? Do you need to create more gaps in the day? Who are the people that you want to connect with today that will make this more manageable? You know? What are the activities in your day outside of work that you think actually this fires me up a bit rather than drags me down? So immediately this beginning section is about you're kind of really doing the, the maintenance stuff, but you know, you can't know what you need to do. You can't know what actions you need until you know what's going on in the, in the first instance. And that that's the biggest mistake I see people make. It's like they have all of these. No, I, I watch it on Instagram all the time. There's loads of stuff been fired out there telling us, you know, oh, this is what you need to do. And this is, you know, Christ, we're, I mean, we're, we're gurued out, aren't we, at the minute with people telling us hard to live. And, you know, you know I'm, I'm on the same platform, so I shouldn't slag it off. But I, 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 I come back to the same point. I, can, I can't tell people hard to live. I genuinely can't. But I can tell them what works in clinical practice. I can tell them what the evidence is. I can tell them what we know from the studies. I can tell them what we know from psychology and neuroscience about how to manage our mind or our emotions and to get the best from life. And then from that, people get a real sense of freedom. But, you know, the therapist can't go to the person's bedroom in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to do your check-in for you. You know, their husband or their wife, their partner can't do it. The person has to do it themselves. And, and they're using, you know, you're using a whole load of techniques. So the cognitive stuff, the kind of cognitive behavioral stuff, is the kind of the, the, the adjustment of thought, managing the emotions. But the behavioral stuff is very much the actions, you know, because often 
we need to not only just challenge the thinking, but we also need to challenge the behaviors. Because when you challenge a behavior, you install, you know, new neural pathways. So it's a whole combination of none of you are genuinely interested in change. It's a whole combination of all of these things. I'm going to cling on to that analogy of the uh, the car and you just starting the car and just driving off because you wouldn't get into your car and just start driving. You would check your mirrors, you would put your seatbelt on, you would check the oil, perhaps your, your uh, fuel tanker, and then you would safely, slowly move your, your car out. Um, you know, and, and and what we find ourselves doing, and I'm guilty of this as well, is allowing the day to drag us through and rushing through everything yeah, yeah. without having done those checks. So I think you know to to use that sort of analogy uh, it, as crude as it is um i think is really telling and and i think back to my like my driver instructor you know he gave me the tools to be able to drive a car he's not in the car with me every single day telling me he's what i need to though. do yeah exactly so no. in the same way and and i you know i know we're comparing like completely different things here but you're giving people the tools via your book to enable them to do these checks before they drive into their their day and, and their week and their months and, and the rest of their life. Exactly. So. And the thing is, like, it, it, you're right, it, it, it's a very basic analogy, but if I use something more academic or if I use something talking about psychological processes and all of that, I mean, people be like, what is this guy on about? I mean, sorry, you'll lose, <laughs> you lose thousands of listeners in a millisecond. So it's just kind of, this is kind of the reality of it. It is that kind of principle really of you know the risk of crash and burning literally in our days and we all do that i mean how many times in our day do we get to four o'clock and we're just up against it and we're knackered and we're stressed and we're anxious so this is kind of really doing the groundwork to think all right okay this is this is important today maybe maybe you're starting off on a great plot maybe you're feeling great and that's that's amazing but at least you know then that you're set up and ready for the day but if you're not and you haven't got strategies in place then you kind of really do need to think about that rather than just basically collide into the day and tomorrow and the next day and the week, you know, and that that suddenly becomes monstrously big. So with the information, you can do something powerful, but the actions are really important. It's about that knowing, okay, what, what may I need? What, what traditionally helps me here? Yeah, even like I know sometimes if I wake up and I if I haven't you know if I haven't planned it if I wake up and I think God I'm not feeling a hundred percent today or God I'm a bit overwhelmed or I suddenly look at my diary and I think bloody hell that's that's hardcore today it's a lot I know sometimes I'll just think you know I'm going to get out for a run I haven't put it in the diary but it's a half an hour I'll get it in the diary I'll, I'll work that out I mean the difference in the day can be chalk and cheese just because I've got out and had that run and used to run as an opportunity to do some of this work while I'm out running just to kind of do my check-ins and think through my day and kind of tweak and regulate and do all of that stuff. And then I come back and it's a totally different start to the day. And then you think, okay, you know, what, what goes into my body today? What foods am I eating? No, are these foods going to, you know, are they going to nourish me? Are they going to be supportive of my day? You know, where are the breaks in my day? Where are the gaps? Who are the people? Where's the fun? Where's the lightness? Where's the kind of more soul nourishing stuff? What am I reading at the minute? What am I listening to? You know, all of these things are just, I mean, they just, I mean, I went to bed the other night and I never watch the news going to bed ever as a general rule. I just kind of think if it's important, I'll know about it tomorrow. 
And I just kind of think it's just not a healthy way to end the day. And I watched the news the other night. I was awake for about an hour and a half because it was just the the content was just, I mean, it was huge. And it's not denying what's going on in the world, but it's like, this is not the time. Yeah, there's an appropriate to time. all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, so there's an appropriate time to absorb the, information, the choice, all, for sure. It's a, and, it's, and neither are all the choices that we make. So th- this is what I talk about when I talk about therapy. I mean, it's a very different cup of tea in a digestive chat that <laughs> we may traditionally think about. <laughs> yeah. No digestives totally, yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear, so this is like uh, this check-in. It sounds like a, 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 a quite an extensive exercise. We're talking four minutes. So four minutes in the morning. This is your check-in. And minute one, two, three, and four. You've broken it out to little exercises to do before you start your day. It's broken down. Yeah, and it's broken down in the book. And if people pick up the book and read it, they'll see that you know I, I break it down quite pedantically, and it makes it seem okay. God, how can I do that in four minutes? But actually, when you just get into the routine of doing it, it'll be easy to do it in four minutes. And and if people can do it shorter or they need a bit longer, again, I'm not overly prescriptive about that. But I kind of break it down in such a way where it's very very clear. Okay, this is what I need. This is kind of what I need to be to be doing. So it's a kind of you're literally grounding yourself and, and, and getting set up for the day. So you're getting your mind, your emotional state, your kind of your intention, your purpose. I always talk about gratitude and what's a funny old thing, but I often talk about, you know, start start the day with just, you know, a couple of things that you're grateful for. And again, not in a fluffy, wishy-washy way. We know from the neuroscience, you, when you're in a grateful state, you know, chemically, you produce more serotonin and dopamine. This is helpful in our mood state. So, you know, it's not about kind of fluffy, positive thinking for the sake of it, but the acknowledgement of things that are going well in your life or things that you are appreciative of, that immediately can move us mentally into a healthier, more adaptive space. So in my eyes, if it works and it's a useful tool, use it because it's easy to get absorbed in the dark. But we need to know why we use it. I hear people talking about gratitude all the time, and it actually makes me not want to be grateful because it's, just, you know, it's it, it's so, it becomes so flowery and indulgent and, and almost ethereal. And I think that can, that can put people off a bit, whereas I think actually, no, scientifically, <laughs> the motivation for doing this here is you can genuinely, it's very difficult to be stuck or resistant when you're trying to be grateful for some things that you do have in your life. And most people can find stuff. I think, okay, I've got a roof over my head. You know, I've had breakfast today. The dogs just lick my feet. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad day. Yeah. 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 They're totally, I, I, I'm going to be doing this over 30 days actually, and, and chronicling my whole journey. Cause right now I, um, uh, I'm kind of like the character of Mira. In, in in the book so mira for, for the listeners is uh, oh all the uh names and and identities of of characters have been uh, anonymized obviously but they've all been changed yeah so, so mira is this person that really resonates with me so she is someone who goes to the gym meditates looks after her health she understands the theory of self-care but i i think from your interaction with her she wasn't really putting it into practice. She, you know, she was she was doing all the right things, but she wasn't really like diving deep. Um, and that's a that's sort of someone, 
you know, I, I have a greater understanding of the internal voice in my head and, you know, the theory of things, but I, I need to like dig a, dig a bit deeper. Um, so I'm going to be chronicling all these things that in the mornings I'm doing my four minute check-in, you know, my grounding, my gratitude and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to sh- show it all on social media for 30 days and, and, and track how I feel of, over that time. But, um, there, there is a, this period of time in the, in the middle of the day, three minutes that you describe as staying steady. Um, why do, why do we dive in, 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 into that? For me, it's important because I think that for, for most people during the day, unquestionably, life happens all the time, doesn't it? You know, there will be that person in the office who has really pissed you off. There will be someone who's pushed against you on the tube. There will be the person who's cut you out in your in the car you know all of the everyday stuff you know you someone pushes in front of you in the supermarket and you know you miss a deadline or an email that you needed to come through doesn't come through and all of this stuff and more i had a night like that last night actually i had two unexpected deadlines that i needed to to have done by nine o'clock that evening but i found out about them at seven o'clock last night and I had a really long day anyway but just that frustration and irritation and I'm flying to Ireland today after I do this and just that sense of things ramping up a bit so the middle of the day checking in is about okay you know to go back to that same principle okay how am I doing you know how's the day been so far and I guess really it's really keeping an eye on you we've talked about this before but it's really keeping an eye on the kind of the mental state of watching how easy it is, particularly as frustrations build up and you get more tired and the pressures of the day grow, it's then really easy to fall into the traps of, okay, oh, this is all rubbish or am I good enough or the catastrophizing, all these unhelpful thought patterns that move in. So it gives you an opportunity to then stop and say, okay, where, where am I at here today? You know, what have been the difficult moments? What thought patterns are are creating challenges or difficulties for me today so you get in an, again it's like an interweave it's these are this is why i said at the beginning they're, they're like these micro injections so it gives you an opportunity again to you know you may take one or two moments from your morning and the negative mindset on it might be saying that was a disaster that was awful that was terrible it gives you an opportunity to reframe it and say okay you know maybe it wasn't that bad there's an opportunity to do better next time what have I learned from this? What can it teach me? So again, it's giving you the opportunity from rather than kind of crash landing into to kind of darker, negative, critical territories, it gives you the opportunity to almost spot that you're about to do it or that your day's moving in that direction. So so again, you're creating space in your day to think, okay, I can see where this goes. You know, experience, we know, most of us know really when we get into that mindset where we go. So it's giving you the opportunity to dive in and say, okay, I'm going to interrupt that. So you're interrupting the pattern essentially by stepping in. So rather than just going along with it, you're jumping in and you kind of say, no, I'm going to interrupt this pattern. And it's also about kind of, you know, keeping an eye too on the, on the behaviors as well. Okay, what, 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 what am I doing today that's sustaining myself? What's that look like so far? You know, is there anything additional I might need? So again, you're going back to the kind of the, the, this is all about psychological flexibility, really, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, you may get to two, three o'clock in your day and suddenly you're having the worst unimaginable day for whatever reason. There's no right or wrong to any of this. So that may be a moment to, to then kind of think, all right, you know, I need to go a bit easier on myself today or I need to think about what can come out or what can be rescheduled or maybe you know, I don't do that dinner tonight because I'm just genuinely knackered and I'd, I'd benefit more from a night at home. So it's just allowing yourself permission. 
because I, I, you know, if you're anything like me, sometimes I'm quite loyal, and if I say I'm doing something, I'll do it, and 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 most of the times I will, I'll go with a commitment. But I'm actually getting much better at saying, you know, something. I know ultimately a better decision for me and for tomorrow and for the rest of the week would be to rethink this or reschedule. And it's giving yourself the permission and freedom to do all of that. So the middle section of the day is really, you know, coming back, you're still grounding. You're still checking in on yourself. You're doing these kind of cognitive tweaks. And then behaviorally then you're kind of either removing or adding, you know, so it's kind of like this constant negotiating going on. And that, so the whole time you're, and it's how it should be, you know, you know, if you think about why would we get up out of bed and get to the end of the day and then stay on this autopilot? Now, this is how it has to be. I mean, that would be like, you think of a pilot navigating an aircraft. I don't know where I'm getting all these analogies from today, but I'll, <laughs> I'll go with them. You know, they might start off with an intention of going from A to B and they might have a route map, but then suddenly there might be an unexpected thunderstorm or a change in weather and they have to change altitude or course or go off in a different direction or change speed because actually that's the sensible, safe thing to do. And I think we're a bit like that as people. It's the constant monitoring and and then it kind of gets you back to your place of stability and then you get on with your day. And then, of course, that brings us to the end of the day and what you do at the end of the day which I think is hugely important and that's the part that I think again a lot of people miss just to be clear this is three minutes in the middle of your day the staying this steady is three, this, is three, this is three minutes yeah three yeah. minutes so you know, t- tweaking those sort of thoughts, um, that sort of, I, and I, I think this is really good from the perspective of uh, nu- nutrition and exercise as well, because it's 60 seconds to review, what am I eating? How am I moving? What healthy behaviors am I engaging in uh, it, it, today? So I think that intention piece is really, um, really important. And the other thing, um, just as you were talking about, you know, those random events that can throw us off and it can be you know someone cuts you off on 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 the road or you know you get an aggressive email or you're having to deal with someone who's quite confrontational at work and I always come back to this this phrase and this works for me I'm not too sure it'll work for everyone but it's um it's rupee don't allow your happiness to be so cheap my happiness should be the most expensive thing in the world and I'm not going to allow someone to buy my happiness for such a small amount, for such a small action. And for for me, that's been absolutely revolutionary. Just a reminder of just how expensive my happiness should be because that is the most precious thing and it leads to so many inroads into a healthy, uh, uh, fulfilling life. It's a really good point. I love that. It's a really good point. The the other thing I should have mentioned about this middle section of the day as well is that... um, I encourage in that not to, is to get outdoors and do that if you can. So this middle section, you know, I say if you can if you can get out, it's three minutes, even if it's just walking around the block or just going across to the local park. Just that very active because again, you look at the studies; most people don't go out for ex- any sort of exercise during the day. They go into work. They're in the office the whole day. Some people don't even leave for a lunch break. So one of the things I'd say in that section is if you can get outdoors to do this here. 
just to kind of not only to give yourself literally a bit of breathing space and a bit of air at the most basic level, but actually just even that, you know, like every study out there, if you can connect to nature in some way, shape or form. And again, I don't want to sound too wishy-washy saying this, but, you know, every study in the land out there is, you know, even if it's, if it's just set in a park under a tree, you know, the benefits of that are unquestionable, really. And I think, you know, this is stuff that we have access to every day. I, I've got much better between clients sometimes if I have a gap. And I try and create gaps of quite lucky as a park beside me. And I'll always make a point. And it's literally in my diary. I'll walk for 20 minutes between clients. So I know I've got a gap. But actually, it's not just a walk. It's kind of recharging and setting up and kind of filling up the tank a little bit more. So if you can get out, if you can get outside to do this section, I'd really encourage you to do that. Because again, it's that active moving. I think sometimes, you know, in EMDR therapy, which is trauma therapy, it's kind of rapid eye movements to process trauma. One of the things they talked about was uh, the person who first discovered that model of therapy was she realized that the action of left to right, just the action of moving, helps you process. Now, in, and in EMDR, they often talk about bilateral stimulation, this left to right motion. And, and again, she discovered that when she was walking and she was trying to deal with difficult stuff, that left to right mechanism suddenly helped her feel better. And if you think about the connection between left left right brain you know if we are overwhelmed or our stress levels are ramping up then that actual you know look the getting out and moving of course is going to be beneficial for helping keep the cortisol regulated but actually if you think about you know dealing with the day actually this left to right left right brain mechanisms a really useful thing to do so i think all of this stuff i think it's really important to know why you're doing it that it's not just made up it's not just oh just go for a walk or sit under a tree there's actually some really good scientific evidence why this is helpful but combine it with all some of the techniques that you and i are talking about today i don't want to give away too much because i want people to read the book but i'm hoping we're, we're given a, getting the flavor here of um, w- what's in there and what what, what can be used oh yeah absolutely i think you you know you you've wrapped all the suggestions in tried and tested tools like cbt and cft you mentioned emdr mindfulness you know everything is sort of wrapped in this but it's not necessarily labeled as such it's you know it's just it's these not, are the practices it's, and i, it's in, it's, I think yeah. it's integrative it's an integrative model of, of working really and and it's unapologetically very very active and tip focused because i think if I had a, written the whole book about understanding your story, then lovely, great. You know, you understand your story and really important, hugely important part of the work. It's the foundation work. It's the essential work. But if that's all I had done in the book, and I think a lot of therapy, that's what happens. People understand a bit more, but then they're left with the, well, what do I do? And I think sometimes as therapists, we forget that if someone's overwhelmed and they're they're exhausted and they're really struggling, they may not be able to find the answers. And sometimes therapeutically, what you do need to do, sometimes you do need to hand stuff over and you know, not be completely directional, but sometimes you need to say, actually, you know, for the minute, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to make suggestions. And I think this is kind of what the book's doing because, you know, you know, if you're stressed or anxious or your mood's low, sometimes you just can't see the wood for the trees. So I think it's really important sometimes that we, we get much, much better at, not working on the assumption that people know what to do i'm not a big believer in this kind of oh everyone has the answers in themselves yeah they, they may do that might be very very true but the problem is you know 
they may not have access. And if, like, there's a lot of, if there's a lot of stuff piled on top of people, I think the job of therapy and these books and stuff is to kind of almost kind of bit by bit start taking bits off and giving guidance so that then eventually the person will find access. But in that interim period, it might be that they need a lot of help, just kind of helping to shift some of the material and some guidance on how to do that rather than just leaving people literally lying in the rubble, kind of not, not knowing what to do. So this is kind of step by step, but, you know, the, you know, like everything, the more you practice it, the more you engage with it, then the benefits are, are huge. Yeah, yeah, and they'll certainly compound. And um, it's free. It's all free. It's I mean, free. This is the thing. Yeah. I mean, well, the book's not free. I mean, you pay a price for the book, of course. But actually, all, <laughs> there's nothing. There's, there's there's nothing in this that costs money. I mean, that's the interesting thing. There's nothing yeah, really in yeah. this that costs a lot of money, or it's going to cost you any additional money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think the last three minutes uh, of of this practice would be um, will be really impactful. Certainly for me, you know, letting go. Um, you know, spending si- just 60 seconds just uh, thinking about the lessons from the day and 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 also um, y- you have this wonderful phrase like allowing yourself to be energized by a higher source um, and I guess that's from your years of experience with people who have particular uh, beliefs uh, strong faith um, you know may- maybe it's just a-, a belief in a spirit but I wonder if you could talk a bit about that yeah, that that was an interesting one because I, I, you know, I, look, I talk about end in the day. It's very simple, really. It's like, you know, if you journal or write or draw, whatever you do, w- whatever the day's been, get it, you know, literally do let it go. F- find a way of, you know, capturing those moments in your day, not only so that you're processing and allowing yourself to let go of whatever's been, but actually it's also about, okay, what can I extract from that? And what did that teach me today? I think that's so, so important. You know, you get to the end of the day, say, what, what, what did I learn from today? Why would I just go to bed and not have learned? I mean, we, we've got a life, we've got a gift. Why would I just go to sleep and not try and extract the goodness in the day and what it's taught me? So that's the premise of it. But then I kind of also thought about, I had a supervisor years ago who gave me this brilliant ritual. I grew up Catholic, so I think part of me likes rituals because it was kind of part of the culture. And he gave me this ritual years ago and he said, after a difficult session or a difficult client at the end of the day, um, he had been practicing it for years. And he said, I want you to get like hot water, soap, nice towel, all that's turn it into an experience. And it's literally only for a minute. And he said, but that becomes the ritual of cleansing off what's just happened or what you've experienced. Um, now, when I was writing this, my editor, who knows me really well, she said, are you sure you want this in? It's a bit woo-woo for you. <laughs> And I said, no, I know it's probably going to sound a bit woo-woo, but it's actually not. And it's this kind of active, sometimes we need rituals that kind of mark Mm. the ending. And it's literally, you know, it's literally just a hand-washing exercise. But when you're doing it, it's like, okay, I'm making a decision that whatever's been today, I'm literally letting that go. So it's this kind of cleansing ritual. And then with that, you know, it's hard to do. You know, as you know, I spent 10 years working with people who were terminally ill. In my career, I worked in palliative care for a long time. And this is not about religion or, or anything at all, really. But I do sometimes think, and again, go back to the evidence and studies, you know, people who have a belief in something, whatever that may be, generally function better and feel better and have he- healthier mental health patterns. Now, that's excluding shame, which comes to a different thing. But people who have healthy beliefs where it's not shame based generally have better mental well-being. And whether that's in God, Allah, 
it doesn't matter to me or a higher power or energy, whatever it might be. But the, the studies would show that a trusting sometimes that there may be even been open to the possibility, there may be a force greater than us. Um, and trusting that force that actually things evolve and things happen and everything happens as and when it should do that sort of trust you know and entering into that there can be a really powerful mechanism to use so i kind of i mention it because i think this doesn't matter if someone's an atheist or it doesn't matter if they have the strongest faith imaginable i think it is sometimes the the belief in possibilities is what i'm saying and and for me really that was that was what 10 years in palliative care taught me even in the most awful adverse and difficult of situations that sometimes there was always the belief in possibilities and that didn't mean that there was going to be a happy ever after and the situation was going to evolve but working with people who were dying and and I, I've said this a number of times in interviews but working with people who were dying taught me ultimately that it was never about dying it was about living it was always about how do you live even in the process of dying and look when you think about it broadly it, it's a process we're all in <laughs> none of us are staying here so we're all in that process of not being here but actually even in the palliative care arena it became about the process of living whilst dying and that's where the energy and the focus went and i kind of think i kind of felt i owed it to the book to bring some of that in because i would see people all of the time link into something greater whatever that meant or a belief in possibilities, or being able to allow themselves to be hopeful, even if that hope meant just having a good day, or getting out for an ice cream, or just doing something really simple, it was enough. So I kind of think, as woo-woo as it might sound, I think unapologetically, no, 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 hope is really important. It's a really, really important thing. And sometimes trusting the process and the energy of life, whatever that might be, and whatever you believe, has to be, it has to be a component in all of this. So that's that's why it's in there, really, and that's kind of how I wrap the day. And then, it's- yeah, no, I'm I'm really glad you you, you put that in. Um, you know, I've chatted to Jeffrey Redinger, who from Harvard, who's um, trained as a surgeon and a psychiatrist, and he's chronicled a lot of these experiences of people who are terminally ill, um, these so-called sort of medical miracles, and one of these uh, unifying threads throughout people's stories is this um, unbelievable faith or this this uh trust in a, in a high source and that can be of a religious persuasion but it can also be of a of a non-typically religious persuasion as well and and i'm really glad you put that in because i think sometimes hope and faith are seen as woo-woo but they are components of what makes us uh human and it it binds a, a lot of people's stories in, in, in many ways. So yeah, I, I was, I was, I was really happy with that, that in there. No, I, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad about that. Cause it was a bit of a debate and I thought, no, I, I, it feels right to put it in there. And it's when I was talking to you mate about this a few days ago, actually, it, even in my own life at the minute, I've really discovered this interest in parallel that's happening quite a bit. And it's not, it's not imagined. It's something very, very real that I experienced that w- when I tried to control things, and when I get, you know, when I get into plan mode and I think, okay, this is what I'm doing, I need to get the next book started, I need to be doing that, I need to be thinking about, you know, all of this stuff. You, you're doing your job and you want to do it well, but it's always thinking about what comes next. I've kind of noticed, one, I enjoy my job less when I go into that mode. 
Two, I then get caught up in the wrong details. You know, I start looking and comparing and doing stupid stuff that I, I intellectually I think nonsense. It doesn't serve me well. And and actually the quality of the work's never as good. So I've noticed this real parallel a bit. When I try to control it all or I need to know or I want to know and I try and um, plan it all out and, and, and expect it to happen in a particular way, it never ever is a healthy space for me to be ever. And I've really worked that out, particularly in the last couple of years when you're, a lot of what I'm doing now is much more independent. I'm self-employed and a lot of it's on me as opposed to being part of an organization, which is much more predictable. And what I'm learning is every single time I'm in a zone and I try and stay in this zone as much as possible where I show up and I do the work. I trust in the work because I believe in the work wholeheartedly. And I just make the decision that whatever comes next, as long as I'm showing up and doing my best. So this isn't just handing it over. I still have to show up and I still have to to be in the arena, so to speak, for the right reasons. The letting go and trusting the process is when stuff then happens and stuff moves. And I'm really, really learning that there every single time, you know, without feel when I'm in that clearly, clearly in that zone. No, it's just about showing up, doing my best, trusting what I'm doing. Things just things go so much more smoothly. So I'm. I'm in this great place at the minute where so much of it is just about, no, 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 it's just so much of this is not in my control. You know, there is no order or predictability and there is no measurement. You know, it's just about, you know, doing your work and using platforms as well as you can do and trusting the process, really. So I guess, really, it's my, at the end of my every day, it's just kind of trusting that I've done my best and that my work or what I do will land where it needs to and when it should. And sometimes it's that's much quieter. And I sometimes think, okay, what, what does quietness mean or what does the silence mean? But of course it has meaning. And then sometimes it's much more robust and there's a whole load of activity going on. And But there's ne- neither is better or worse. It's just kind of like they're just different states um, of play at the minute. And that's a really powerful place for me to be because it's kind of like the only responsibility is really about doing what I do, trying to do it well. And trusting that it, the work lands where it should do. And that's um, yeah, that's that's kind of the essence of all of this, really. I think. Yeah, honestly, I I, I absolutely love the the practical element. Um, as I said, I'm going to be practicing this. I'm going, I want to try it for. Oh, I can't wait to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to be chronicling it as well. I just think it's so well. Like the attractive thing for me is that a it's grounded in all those uh, science based tools, whilst not you know, hammering home, like, okay, this is CBT and this is a particular type of therapy. It's like, no, no, these are just some practices. It's 10 minutes and I can break it into four, three, and three. Uh, I can already hook onto some of my practices. Like as you were talking about the whole washing, um, uh, your, your hands at the end of the day and sort of like that being the, you're letting go. I can imagine like, you know, when I put my vitamin C, topical cream on my face that can be like <laughs> me actually that could be know, your ritual. just doing it yeah, yeah like instead of that being like you know oh, i'm just putting the cream on my face that can actually be a trigger like 60 seconds i'm going to rub, rub my face and that's gonna like uh, be one of the yeah. the practices in, in yeah. the day so yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna chronicle and, and i know it's not like geared towards like 30 days to change your life sort of thing but i feel like if i practice it for 30 days it may instill a habit whereby 
I'll be taking a lot of those uh, practices and, and, you know, for longer. Oh, so, amazing. yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I, I, I can't, well, I can't, that'd be fascinating for me to watch. I'm really interested to watch. And what, one of the things I'd say is, I mean, remember every day isn't going to be perfect and there'll be days you struggle and there'll be days when you think, oh, I didn't get it in today or I forgot to do it or you're a bit wound up by the process. And that's absolutely fine because you, you I think you learn just as much from any of the challenges that it brings up as well. So I'd kind of throw that in as a caveat, you know, don't expect that the 30 days are just going to be, you know, miraculous and that these techniques are all going to work perfectly every time. You're going to have resistance and moments of challenge, but I guess if you stay open and curious about all of it and what it can all teach you, then maybe, you know, maybe that's where the real power is. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. I'm going to, I'm going to hack this into something I think you should do. Um, uh, I, I can see this as like a, a digital product, actually, something that slots into my life sort of effortlessly and pings like three times a day. So in the morning, I'm going to attach it to a little alarm uh, on my on my Google Cow and it will have like a, t- a literal checkbox of the four things. So emotional check-in, self-care strategy for today, gratitude and um uh like a grounding uh, exercise so that would be my morning and then the same thing for the staying steady and the reflect in the evening and you know it, it will it will be it won't be invasive it'll be very subtle a nudge you know if i get a chance to do it i'll do it if i don't you know i won't beat myself up about it but i'm going to try and instill that into my 30 days and just see you know how and i can imagine how this could be i mean i'm i'm very app centric obviously because i've started my own app and i feel like people like yourself who have got this amount of knowledge and experience working within the NHS and seeing thousands of patients who'd really try and scale uh, their ability to influence because everyone wants to have a therapist like you with your experience and your candor and, you know, you know, how, how incredible um, you are. So I, I can definitely see how this can be sort of created into a product that can be in the hands of of uh, thousands, if not millions, of people. So I'm going to try that anyway. I'll, I'll let you know. Oh, bless you! No, I'll let on. you know. You, you, you're sounding like Bev James at the minute. She'll have an idea though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, if she hears the episode, she'll be, she'll be on the phone straight away. <laughs> she, she probably will be. <laughs> we can all have a chat. <laughs> yeah, Bev is our. For those that Bev, Bev James is our manager, and she's incredible. She's this kind of powerhouse of activity but i mean she i mean honestly i i kind of almost feel i have to credit bev because she has been massive part of driving me in all of this here because she met me from my first book and i was so kind of tiptoe and tentative and oh not really sure and you know like we she still takes a piss about me on social media i talking about <laughs> hashtags one day and i i looked at her blankly and i said what's a hashtag <laughs> she said okay <laughs> Yeah, let's start from the beginning which has been really interesting for me you know to 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 build a little bit of profile on instagram without knowing anything about that world and how to use those platforms but um they, they, this is the key thing is and it's just about how we yeah you, you just never know do you where next steps are going to lead and where that's meant to lead and what 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 that should look like but um I, i'm going to be really watching your journey i'd love to to see how that pans out and 
yeah, to, to see the benefits. And I, I, there will be benefits. I'm confident of that. But um, it'd be good to watch and for sure and to hear your thoughts. Sure. So do, 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 do tag me because I'll follow. I really. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent. I want. I want to follow absolutely. the. I want to follow the progress. Great. We'll start a cult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See, this is why Benedict Cumberbatch didn't get on the front of the book because he's not coming up with gold ideas like this. <laughs> absolutely. I better. I, I better. I better tell him he's staying on the back. <laughs> that's fun awesome Owen uh, always a pleasure thank you so much for uh, uh, giving you. your time today and uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time I'm sure um, the next time we will definitely get to sit down properly uh, in the studio that would be great do this face to face perfect thanks so much Ruby as always it's been it's been a great chat and um, yeah congratulations on all your new stuff as well um, appreciate it big stuff happening you, in your man. life congratulations um, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up soon thank you Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. Remember, you can check this out on YouTube and please go and check out Ono Kane's latest book, How to Be Your Own Therapist. It is absolutely fantastic. And the fact that you can get these key psychological practices in just 10 minutes a day, I think is really revolutionary. It's certainly going to be uh, something that I'm going to be practicing and sharing my journey with over on socials. Uh, and you can pick up how to be your own therapist wherever good books are sold online and go and support your independent bookstore. I will see you here next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.